what do you think, throughout history would be the most controversial teaching of the church. The Catechism has a specific suggestion for us. Is it church authority? Is it divorce and human sexuality? Is it papal infallibility? No. The Catechism actually quotes Saint Augustine saying some 1600 years ago, which still rings true today, it says, on no point does the Christian faith encourage more opposition than on the resurrection of the body. Each Sunday we profess in the Nicene Creed, I look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come, amen. Or in the Apostles' Creed, I believe in the resurrection of the body and life everlasting, amen. These concluding statements of the Creed may seem to be nothing more than a tag ending, far less significant than the statements preceding them about God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One might also confuse this creedal statement with belief in the resurrection of Jesus. But no, this is not about Jesus' resurrection. That was covered earlier in the creed. I believe in the resurrection of the body is about your body and mine. In both the first reading from Maccabees today and in the gospel, we hear about the necessity of belief in the resurrection before even Jesus himself has risen from the dead. And so to illustrate the point, the gospel gives us this interaction with the Sadducees who do not believe in the resurrection. And they present to Jesus a scenario to try to corner him or trick him. So they give this far-fetched but not impossible example of what if a man marries a woman, he dies, she remarries his brother, he dies, and so forth, seven times. And they say, whose wife is she in heaven? And Jesus' response is very simple, that there's no marriage in heaven, so none of them. Well, if you're feeling provoked here and getting ready to storm out of this church because I've presented this bad news that your spouse will not be your spouse in heaven, hold on. This is part of the good news if we properly understand this, if we understand what is heaven. Because marriage, especially as a sacrament, is a sign of something greater to come, of the eternal wedding feast of heaven. And so in heaven, will you know and love your spouse? Absolutely, you will even more and perfectly. But we'll share perfect love for everybody and God himself in heaven. And so there's no need for exclusive relationships in heaven. That's only for this earth because our hearts are limited and not able to give ourselves wholeheartedly to everybody. And so Jesus is saying that the, these ends of marriage are fulfilled, the meaning of marriage, right? So the first meaning is procreation and education of children. 
Well, in heaven, there's no death, so there's no procreation. And furthermore, in heaven, if we look to the other end of marriage, of union, of the spouses, right, there's no need for exclusive union because the union on earth that marriage symbolizes is fulfilled in heaven in a far, far greater way. But marriage is not irrelevant in heaven either because heaven is the wedding banquet of Christ and his bride, the church. Here on earth, human love is manifested concretely through bodily actions. Love and all moral acts are mediated through the body. In other words, it's not enough to have loving thoughts and sentiments about another person or God. Those thoughts and sentiments need to be concretized through bodily actions if they are to bear authenticity. We call marriage a one flesh union because it's the physical uniting of husband and wife in their bodies that seals and consummates those wedding promises spoken at their wedding day. So if our love of God is expressed through bodily acts, just as God's love for us was shown in Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, then the perfection of love in heaven at the end of time will likewise involve our bodies. The human person is a unity of body and soul. So our bodies are essential to who we are. Our ultimate destiny is not liberation from the body, but rather a glorified bodily state where the body perfectly expresses the person and reveals the soul. Each of our unique vocations to love and serve others necessarily involves embracing our bodily identity. This is challenging for all of us because our bodies also reveal our weaknesses and our brokenness thanks to original sin. We all experience imperfections and defects. Sometimes they can become a source of confusion about our identity as creatures of God and so doubt that we are truly loved into existence by him. And so in a word, this is why Christ came, taking on human flesh, sanctifying it with his divinity, offering his body for us on the cross and rising from the dead with a glorified body. Our salvation is inherently bound up with what St. Paul calls the redemption of our bodies. In heaven, at our resurrection, our bodies will be perfect like the risen Christ. The Holy Spirit will be fully operative within us, allowing us to love God and others in full freedom. There will be no death, no suffering, no bodily weaknesses or limitations. So have I made heaven sound enticing enough? 
then live every moment in anticipation of this great hope. The risen Christ is alive, touching our very bodies through the sacraments, making us temples of the Holy Spirit. And so when you invite Christ to act and dwell within you, the redemption of your body and the life of heaven has already begun. I look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Thanks for listening to Within the Walls of St. Paul's Sunday Homilies. Please be sure to like us on Facebook and consider supporting us by visiting stpaulsharvardsquare.org. That's stpaulsharvardsquare.org. God bless and see you next time.